Well, welcome again, friends, to Vineyard Altoona. I'm so glad you've chosen to join us. And if this is your first time joining us, I especially want to welcome you because I know it's a big deal to check out a new church. And so I'm just thankful that you've chosen uh, to join us. And I hope today is beneficial for you. Uh, we're going to continue a, a series that we've been in for a number of weeks. And this is going to be the last week of this series. But I want to start out, you know, people love a good love story, don't they? Like if you go to the movies and you watch a really good love story, you know, and they all are the same though, right? Like the characters show up and you sort of know these two characters eventually are going to find each other. And the whole movie is them overcoming the odds to end up with one another. That that's how love stories work. But that's not all love stories. If you'll remember the movie Forrest Gump, if you're like everyone else who has already seen it, if you haven't seen it, I don't know what you're waiting for. Uh, there's not a better time. You can go see it today. Uh, but the movie Forrest Gump is like a, a love story that's a little bit different, right? In this story, Forrest, the main character, has this friend, Jenny, right? And, and he has a hard time having any friends. But in grade school, Jenny sits next to him on the bus. And from that day on, he and Jenny are friends. But, but Forrest really loves this girl, Jenny. And so through the whole movie... He just is continually pressing and, and, and chasing her down and, and rescuing her and really wants to love her. And she continually puts him off the whole movie over and over and over again. He rescues her. He loves her. And she just puts him off and she rejects him. And I won't spoil the end of it for like the two of you that haven't seen the movie. But there's this question that sort of comes as you watch the movie, like how long... Will you love someone who doesn't reciprocate? How long will you rescue someone who doesn't appreciate what you've done for them? How long do you persist in loving people who reject you? We've been in this series called Off Limits for a number of weeks. And like I said, this is going to be our last week in this series. Uh, and the whole premise of the series is talking about areas of life that we struggle to surrender to God. And I said in the first week that sanctification is this process by which you begin to look more and more like Jesus and that God changes you as you surrender areas of your life to him, that that's how this all works. And uh, so we've talked about a lot of, of different areas. We've spent time in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we've talked about anger and honesty. We've talked about uh, surrendering the right to retaliate. Uh, and so today what we work are going to talk about is surrendering imperfect love. Surrendering imperfect love. And so would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, I do welcome you into this time. And God, would you put your words in my mouth? Lord, I do pray for those who are listening, who struggle to believe. I pray, God, that you would give them gifts of faith. Lord, would you reach under our defenses? And meet us in places that we've never met you before. Lord, I pray that you would put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 43. So Matthew 5 verse 43. And here's what we read. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As he's done all along the way on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing teachings that the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law have been teaching the Israelites. And he does so in this this format that that I've uh, referenced before. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. In this passage, Jesus is addressing an issue that we all deal with. The issue of incomplete or imperfect love. Look with me again at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The teaching from the Pharisees of the day was built from God's command out of Leviticus 19. And I'll read it to you. Leviticus 19 verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God specifically calls the Israelites to love their neighbors. And in the context, he's saying, love the rest of the Israelites. But from this passage, you find that he never says, hate your enemy. That this is something that got added that the rabbis would defend the right to hate the enemies because God didn't exclusively say we shouldn't. And the common teaching of the day was that you had to love your neighbor, but you were free to hate your enemies. This is incomplete love. It's not complete. It carefully selects the recipients of love based on who we believe is worthy. I mean, we know this one, don't we? Like, doesn't this sort of like really connect with you at some level? We do select people. I mean, around here, many people are Steelers fans. And it, for all of you who are Eagles fans, that's, you, can, you can associate. You can go with me here. But if you're a Steelers fan, it doesn't matter where you go. Some of you have been plenty of other places. When I used to live in Ohio, it was the same way. If you're a Steelers fan, as soon as you find another Steelers fan, you just bond. You just bond. Like, we're best of friends, man. We love each other. Don't even know this guy's name. His, but, you know, Steeler guy over there. We're best of friends. We love each other. And we bond around our common hatred of the Ravens, right? Because they're just the bane of everyone's existence. And, of course, we can hate them because they're the enemy. That's what everybody does. Don't even know this guy, but we're best of friends. And we can hate the other guy over there that we don't know. If you've ever gone to any sports event, you've probably seen this, right? Like if you're sitting in the stands and there's the one guy who's in the stands in the middle who roots for the other team, everybody around that guy hates him. Don't even know who he is or what his story is. We just hate him because he's rooting for the wrong team. Now, maybe you couldn't go with me on my little sports analogy. Maybe it doesn't, that, that experience doesn't really translate for you, but let me, let me try to bring it a little closer to home. If you're watching this on the day that it airs, 
Sunday, November 1st. If you're watching this, we're only two days away from finally being done with the election. And this has been such a contentious election season. If you find someone else who likes the same political candidate you like, instantly you bond, right? You know, you're, you're walking around and somebody else has the hat on that you, that you wear or somebody else has the t-shirt, or somebody else has the yard sign that, that matches your yard sign, or somebody else has the bumper sticker that matches your bumper sticker, you automatically love that person. Don't know anything about them, you're automatically like, yeah, they're good. I'll give you a good test, right? If you're driving down the highway and somebody pulls out and cuts you off, but they have the bumper sticker of your candidate, you give them all the grace in the world, right? Oh man, they, there must be some emergency, they're running late, you know, you give them grace but let the other party's uh, bumper sticker be the one in front of you. And they're all like that, right? Don't you do that? Like we all sort of love those who are like us and we congeal around this hate for those who are not like us. And I wish I could say that this was only people outside the church. I wish I could say, you know, it's only people who don't know Jesus that do this, but it's not. It's all of us. I've seen so much of it in the church from both the Christian left and the Christian right. And you know, maybe it's not exclusive, super hateful things. It's not active and super expressive. Maybe it's more like, I'll just distance myself from Christians around me who support the candidate I don't like. You know, maybe I'll just avoid them and I'm just gonna talk about them to everyone else, right? I'm gonna go get around people who are like me, who, who vote for the same candidate I vote for, you know, and I'm gonna just say, you know, I don't know how anyone who calls themselves a Christian could vote for Biden. I have no idea. Or maybe it's, I don't know how anyone who calls themselves a Christian could vote for Donald Trump. And you've been in those circles with people like you and you join in hatred of the other people. And in the name of something so comparatively trivial, as American politics, something so secondary to the kingdom of God, we break fellowship with other people who follow Jesus. You know, Jesus said that the way the world would know that he had been sent from the Father is by how we're united. And we would break fellowship with people who have a different political leaning. You know, it's why the world take, doesn't take us very seriously. We can't even get together around Jesus. It's a problem. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, like so many of us, the Pharisees selectively choose who deserves love and who deserves hate. You know, if you're in my little camp, if you like what I like, if you're in this little camp, you deserve love. If you're outside the camp, you deserve hate. Jesus corrects the error by teaching those who follow him to love completely. Love completely. Look at verse uh, 44 again. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the good and on the evil. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Jesus says it's not enough 
for those who claim to follow him to love those who are lovely, love those who do things for us, love those who affirm us, who do well by us. Anybody can do that. Jesus says there's something to, that's supposed to be otherworldly about how his followers love. That's completely possible to love people who love you within your natural self. Jesus says we're to love completely. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you love everybody. It's not somebody who falls outside the scope of who a Jesus follower will love. The true Christian is not someone who loves those who are easy to love, who loves those who think like me and who vote like me and who talk like me and believe like me. The true Christian is, is one who loves those who are hard to love, those who are different than me, those who oppose me, those who seek to hurt me. It's another instance where Jesus is calling his followers to be radically different from the world around them. Not weird or legalistic or making up ways to be different, but that there's supposed to be a quality of life about a follower of Jesus that makes no sense because it's otherworldly, that it doesn't fit within the bounds of how the world works. I mean, we've talked about this before, but the way Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies is this word agape. It's the Greek word that is used to describe how God loves. The best humans can come up with naturally is phileo, brotherly love, loving those who love us. Jesus says we're to agape our enemies, to love our enemies the way God loves then Jesus gives this quick illustration, just in case we didn't know what he means. Look at verse 45. He says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends sun and rain to both the righteous and the unrighteous, to the evil and the good. And so what Jesus is referring to is farming would be the way that you would care for your family and provide for your family. And what Jesus is saying is that God provides conditions to have a favorable harvest for those who worship him and for those who don't worship him. God loves and cares for and actively provides for those who are his people and those who reject him. God loves independent of the worthiness of the recipient because God's essence is love. God loves because that's who he is. This is why God loves completely, not because they deserve it, but because he is love. He works actively for the benefit of everyone. This is how Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies. We're to love them by actively working to their good. Like, how do we do this? Like, how do we who follow Jesus love completely? Or maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, how could you begin to lean into loving those who oppose you? I mean, if you've tried to do this on your own, you'll never do it. Like, let me give you an example. If you're a, a Trump supporter, and let's say your next door neighbor is a Biden supporter who doesn't have a car and can't get to the polls, and on election day, you decide you're going to love your enemy, and so you go and you knock on the door and you say, I'd like to take you 
to the polls so you can vote today. Or if you're a Trump or if you're a Biden supporter and your next door neighbor's a Trump supporter who uh, is handicapped and can't drive themselves to the polls and you go and you say, hey, I'd love to take you to the polls today so that you can vote and the Trump supporter gets in your car with a MAGA hat on. Like imagine that scenario that you're gonna love your enemy actively. You're gonna actively do the best by them. There's probably something inside of you that revolts or that, that something inside of you maybe feels like you're eating dry shredded wheat. There's no way. Not only can't you do it, you don't even want to do it. Something actively inside of you resists. So how do we do what Jesus commands? How do we love those who are our enemies? Listen, you don't have the natural ability to do it. Let me explain to you why. Anyone that you love, Think of your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. Anyone that you love costs you something. It always costs to love. But when you love people who love you, you can rest pretty much assured that they will return the cost. So you expend the cost to love them and they will expend the cost to love you. And therefore, you go back and forth. You will affirm them because they'll affirm you. You will give of yourself because you know they will give of themselves. We love those who love us because there's a payback. The reason we don't want to love our enemies is because we can pretty much count on it that our act of love will not be reciprocated. That you and me are going to pay a cost that will not be paid back to us. And if you think about the taking your opponent to the polls, quite literally, your enemy is going to use your act of love against you. They're going to vote to undo what you went to go vote for. The reason we don't want to love those who are our enemies is because we want to preserve advantage. It's a, it's a human aspect. Everything in broken humanity wants to preserve our own personal advantage and our own leg up. That was the point of last week's passage is that we, we don't want to retaliate. We want to resist. We actually do want to retaliate most of the time because we want to preserve our leg up. Every last one of us wants to make sure we don't give up our advantage. We don't want to give up whatever we perceive as having a leg up, of being able to provide for ourselves. It's not until we've been set free by the gospel that we can actually do this. It's not until you understand that Jesus, who had all advantage in heaven, he had all the privilege of heaven, who gave up everything, who gave up everything so that you might become a child of God, that you can begin to understand how this works. That he laid down all privilege for your benefit so that you might have privilege. This is what he's talking about. Until you have surrendered to that story that Jesus has made a way for you to be a child of heaven by giving up all privilege and all advantage of heaven, that's when we understand what it is to love our enemies. And you know, Jesus did this not because there was an expectation that you would actually reciprocate. He gives us this example because there's no guarantee that his act of love would be paid back by you following him. He laid down every advantage for you and every advantage for me, regardless of how we would respond. Not because we were lovely, 
but because he himself is love. That's what it is. He did this so that you can become a child of God. Look again at verse 44. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He did this so that you could become a child of your Father. Look down at uh, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus did all of this that we would be restored to a relationship, not with some far-off, uninvolved, disinterested God, but that we would be restored to a relationship to a Father who loves us. That's what Jesus did for us. And until you have been restored to the relationship with your true Father, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you're never going to be able to love your enemies because you will never understand what God has done for you. Once you understand that you have the ability then to begin to try to live into being a child of your father, that you would begin to love perfectly the way your father loves perfectly. That's the whole point, that we would be people who love our enemies. Is there ever, has there ever been a time in your life where the need to be able to love those who oppose you was more apparent? Isn't that the most apparent thing right now? That somewhere in our society, we need a people who are capable of loving those who oppose them. And I think the followers of Jesus are supposed to be those people. That we would be people who would demonstrate to the world how you love people who oppose you. How you love people who want to hurt you. Friend, if, that's, if you're in this place where you're unable to love your enemy, perhaps you need to surrender your heart to your father that Jesus would rescue you and put you in relationship with your father. I think most of us need that. But friends, if, if there are those of you out there today who have never said yes to Jesus, who have never surrendered and laid down your life into the hands of Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today that there's no better day to begin a relationship with Jesus that will restore your relationship to your true father. Friends, if we're going to be the kind of people that Jesus calls us to be, we're going to have to surrender. We're going to have to surrender this idea that we would only love those who love us. So if that's you, if you're in a place where you need to surrender your life to Jesus, you know, maybe you've been going to church for a long time. You've done a lot of the religious things. You've read a Bible. You've given all those things. The most important thing is that you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And so I want to invite you to do that today. And so if you're sitting in one of our homes or you're watching this on your own and you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus, would you just pray with me and you can just make this prayer your own? Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Every area of my life where I've fallen short, every area of my life where I have offended you, every area of my life that I've, that I've done that has broken relationship with you, I surrender it all. And Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me. I choose to believe that your death on the cross is payment for my sin. And that because of your death and resurrection, I too will be made alive. Holy Spirit, would you come and live inside of me? In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed with me, 
would you reach out to the host of your home? And I would just love them to pray for you that God would bless the decision that you've just made and that God would, would continue to bless as you, as you walk in obedience to him. If you're not in one of our homes, would you reach out to us? I'd love to be able to pray for you and bless you. For we're going to move now into a time of communion, this space where we remember that Jesus became nothing, that we would be able to become children of God.